Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verses 1 to 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, um, flowing from the throne of God and from, of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his names will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the reading of God's word. Good afternoon. It's good to see everybody here. Um, hopefully you had a good week, um, especially as fall season is kicking in. It's getting a little bit chillier. Um, <clears throat> if you've been following us in the past few weeks, we've been looking um, on this sort of mini-series on some of the things that I think not just Christians, but even non-Christians are looking for in the world, but that I think that sometimes worship can actually speak into. And so we talked about the importance of worship, but we also said where meaning comes from, and that worship can also help us understand where our meaning ought to come from. We talked about satisfaction, not satisfaction, but we talked about uh, identity and where our identity is coming from and how worship can actually speak into that as well. Today is the last day of, of, of this sort of mini-series, but it's also an introduction to the next following weeks, and that is on the idea of contentment, contentment. If I were to ask you today, how would you respond? Are you happy today? Are you content with life today? Uh, if not, why not? If not, what would it take? Uh, or maybe you are happy. Uh, what does that mean? What does that look like? What does that look like for you? And so what we're going to look at today is more of an introduction to the idea of satisfaction and contentment but I also want to remind you as well how Sunday worship, among many things, can remind us where our contentment ought to come from. And this is why we're looking here in the book of Revelation. Anytime you look at the book of Revelation, you know, it's kind of hard. It's difficult because there's so much symbolism. It, it, uh, the genre is kind of mysterious. It's a little weird. Um, it is a book written by the Apostle John, and it's a, actually a vision. A lot of his uh, visions that he actually writes down at the end of the book. And so that's why you don't hear too many sermon series on the book of Revelations because that's how uh, weird it could get and how difficult it is to kind of translate this. But here, uh, in Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter of the last book in the Bible, the Apostle John has a vision. And in here, this chapter, he has a picture of things to come, uh, the last things, we could say. And in this picture, in this idea or, or vision that he has, is a, is a place. And it's a place of fruitfulness and a place of blessing. Uh, it's, a, it's a picture of a place where rivers flow through the city and everything is, uh, I guess, uh, flourishing in a sense. If you ever notice, um, even in our, in our world, almost every major city in, in our, I guess, world has a river. Right? Rome has the Tiber River, London has the Thames River, Paris has the Seine, and New York City even, right? The beautiful Hudson River. And so here it is, we see a vision or a picture of a city, and there's this description of rivers, right, going through it. 
And it's a place, according to verse 3, where there's no more curse. That's what it says, no more curse. A place where God and the Lamb of God will dwell on the throne. A place where, according to verse 4, people will be there. And people will see face to face. A place, according to verse 5, is a place of light, where life will reign forever and forever. But I want you to notice this, okay? Notice the familiarity of this description here in Revelation 22. There's something in this passage that I think if you're familiar with the Bible at all, it ought to stick out. And that's in verse 2. We are told that uh, there is in this place the tree of life. The tree of life. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, you ought to be immediately reminded that here in the last book of the Bible, there's something there, this tree of life, that's also in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis. Remember Genesis chapter 2, verse 9? It says this, that the tree of life was in the midst of this garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil as well. And so here you have, I'm giving you a picture here of how to look at the whole Bible, in fact. If Revelation is a book about the last things, then Genesis is a book about the first things, the beginning things. And in these two books, we have these two trees, one in the beginning, mentioned in chapter 2 of Genesis, and one at the end, mentioned in Revelation 22. They're the same tree. And so these two accounts, one in the beginning and one in the end, they're like bookends of the whole Bible, And that ought to give you some idea then of how we ought to look at the Bible. I mean, did you know that the Bible has 66 different books? But the way most of us look at it is that we know all these Bible stories, but they're sort of disconnected stories, each with their own little moral or own little truth, and and they're sort of disconnected. But the way that the Bible is written, if you look at it very carefully, from Genesis to Revelation, is that there is a flow, a string that ties all these stories together. And we're reminded of this again when Revelation tells us that there is, in the last things, the tree of life. The same tree in Genesis chapter 2. You remember chapter 1 and 2 of Genesis, right? God creates everything, and it says in chapter 2, verse 1, that everything was finished, everything was good, and after God worked six days, he rested. He entered into his rest on the seventh day, right? And so God opens chapter 2 with him resting on his throne. He worked six, right? And then he rested on the seventh day. And then what did he tell man to do? He told Adam and Eve, I want you to do the same. Do like me. Work six, rest one, right? And what was the work that Adam and Eve were to do? Chapter 1, verse 28, he says, I want you to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion, right? I want you to work it and keep it. That's what he says. So work in the Bible in chapter 1 and 2 was not a bad thing. It's a good thing, at least until chapter 3, like everything else was, okay? But the man, but the, God commanded uh, Adam saying, you can do anything you want, just make sure you don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now listen carefully, okay, follow me. We know how that story ends, right? You get to Genesis 3, Adam doesn't listen to God, Adam, and everything is messed up, right? Sin comes into the world, and everything, you know, is just gone. Uh, They're kicked out of the garden, and um, they're guarded from it. Now there's all these problems that they have in their lives, in their relationships, and in the world around them. But here's the question that I want to ask you today. What would have happened if Adam and Eve 
did not sin. What would have happened, do you think, if this is the story about how the ancient Near East people saw how God created things, and everything is messed up because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve, what would have happened if Adam and Eve actually listened to God, and they obeyed, and they didn't eat of that fruit, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? We know what would happen when they disobeyed, because God says there in verse 16 of chapter uh, 2, you will die, you will surely die. But what would have happened if they actually obeyed? You see, when we think about what Christianity is, what it means to be a Christian, we think primarily about me being saved and forgiven and my sins forgiven and Jesus I trust and he saves us. But the question I'm asking is this. If Adam had not sinned, if Adam and Eve didn't, didn't obeyed what God had asked, there wouldn't be a need for salvation, would there? There wouldn't be a need for Savior. There wouldn't be a need for Jesus to come down and give his life for sinners because there would be no sin. So if Adam had obeyed instead of disobey, what would life be like right now? And when I ask people this question, just to think about, it's a fun thing to think about, many people immediately think that it's, well, life would be like the Garden of Eden, like chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis. Everything would be good. Everything would be wonderful. And that was what it would be, where a, a place where no one gets sick and no one gets old, where children listen to their parents and husbands and wives always get along and people are always loving and lovable. But I want you to consider this. In the Old Testament, and particularly in Genesis, God's pretty simple. We call his justice simple justice, meaning this. You obey, you get rewarded. You disobey, you get punished. That's what we call simple justice. Punishment for disobedience, reward for obedience. And this is the same principle that many of us work by today in the world. You work, you get paid. You mess up work, you lose pay or you lose your job. It's simple justice. And in Genesis, what we learned is this, that the punishment for disobedience was clear, right? You're going to be removed from the garden, removed from my presence, and you will be cursed, right? And you remember how Adam and Eve experienced that. They were driven out of the garden, and then there was this cherubim with a flaming sword that guarded the way to what? In verse 24 of chapter 3, there was a cherubim with a flaming sword that guarded the way to the tree of life. They were cursed. People from that point on, no more access to the tree of life. But the question is this, what about for obedience? If that's the punishment for disobedience, what would have been Adam's reward for his obedience? What would he have received that he had not already received by being virtue of God's creation. What would his reward be? Would it be just to continue to live in the garden as it was and just continue that way of life? And I want to suggest something to you. When God worked six days, what did he say he did? He rested. He sat down on his throne. He entered into his eternal rest. We translate that as glory. Man, made in the image of God, follows his pattern, was to work obediently, subdue creation, and for their obedience, they would have been rewarded with something 
more than just the Garden of Eden. They would have entered into God's rest with God. They would dwell in his eternal presence and they would enjoy him forever. What's heaven like? What's it going to be like? And you might be tempted to think, well, whatever it's like, it must be something like what Adam had in the garden before chapter 3. But no. As good as things were in the Garden of Eden, if Adam and Eve obeyed, they would have been rewarded and received something even more than they had. As good as it may have been, the Garden of Eden was not the final resting place. It never was. Think about this. Just the fact that it's even possible to be disobedient in that place, to be punished for disobedience, it tells us that how Adam and Eve were, as good as it may have been, was not perfect, not complete. So the point of all this is this. From the beginning, God had a plan to further bless his people. And it was more than just, hey, you get to stay in the Garden of Eden. And that blessing depended on people's obedience. If you be faithful, you'll be rewarded. And that blessing was forfeited when Adam disobeyed. He never got it. People never got it. Now, okay, if you're following me, because we're doing a little theology, you come back to our text. Last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22. And in this, John has this picture of that same tree. That same tree. The story begins with God in eternal glory, his rest, and it ends in Revelations with God in his eternal glory. But one difference in Revelation 22, people are there. In Genesis 2 and 3, people are kicked out. There's nobody there. But now, in Revelation 22, what we see is the picture is people are there with God in his eternal glory and full access to the tree of life, whatever that is. What was lost in Genesis is now, in a sense, regained in Revelation. What John sees here in the future is far more than what Adam or Eve ever experienced in the Garden of Eden. It's the promise of God in all its fullness. And the question then is this, how is that possible? Kicked out of the garden, you disobeyed, you don't get the reward, and all of a sudden, end of the Bible, picture of the perfect place, better than the garden, and people are there. How did they get there? How is that possible? Between the bookends, these two trees of the whole Bible, And I think you know the answer, right? Because in the middle of the two trees, in the middle of the Bible, Acts chapter 5, verse 30, this is what it says, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, if a man commits a crime punishable by death, he is put to death, you hang him on a tree. There's another tree. The tree here at the end, the tree in the beginning, it's the same tree. How did people get there? Because there was another tree. Someone hung on a tree, so to speak. And you know that's the cross of Jesus Christ, right? At the center of the Bible, of this huge story, is the cross. What some places in the Bible call a tree, where God reveals his glory through his son. And there in Jesus Christ, Adam failed 
But this one, Jesus obeys. Jesus is the second Adam, the son of Abraham, the son of David, faithful to God. He earned what Adam didn't get by his obedience. And then he was hung on a cross. Why? Because he took the curse that Adam got upon himself. So that us today, we today, not by our obedience to get reward, but now faith in his obedience. And in him, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What John sees in Revelation 22, what we see that even Adam could never have imagined, is what John says we receive because someone hung on a cross, a tree, took the curse away from us, paid for our debt, obeyed the way we should have obeyed so that by faith we get what Adam failed to get. That's the picture of Revelation 22. Let me end this part here. When you think about salvation, here's what you think. You say, it's, it's about me. I'm a sinner. I need salvation. I need my sins forgiven. And Jesus died for me, and he saved me. But actually, when you look at the Bible and how you read it, it's not about you. It's about God. It's about his plans from the very beginning to glorify himself by creating a place for his glory and then creating a people who would glorify and enjoy him forever. And it tells us this, that when you look at the Bible this way, between the two trees, Genesis to Revelation, God is not meant to be a part of your story and to help you have your best life now. But you've been created to be a part of this story. And the story tells us nothing's going to stop him. Not even your own sins are going to stop him. He's got plans for you. He's got a destiny for you. And he's guaranteed that destiny by giving you his only son. Okay? Now, what does this have to do with contentment? What does this have to do with happiness? And it means this. We live in between the two trees, right, where things were messed up and now there's things that are going to be made right. We're in the middle, so to speak. We live in this tension. Life here in the everyday, the world, uh, what we do is important. It affects us. What we do now matters. And how we live can make a difference even right now, whether at home or with friends or at work, in in our relationships, in the world. In other words, here's the thing. If our faith is real today, it means we need to bring it to bear even now on the everyday things. And what that means is this. There is a contentment and happiness to be found in what we do now. Right, And what we have now, whether it's people in our lives or our, our work or, or even the simple things like food or clothing and, and, and leisure and travel, we, we find those things to make us happy at times, right? The work we do even. But the problem with that is this. The only problem is that it's slippery. It's temporary. 
It's fleeting. You, you know how it works. You plan a vacation a year in advance, and so now you have something to look forward to. So it doesn't matter what work you've got to get through, what things you've got to do, because you've got something to look forward to. And then you finally arrive, and now you've got a week or two in your planned vacation. You enjoy it. It brings contentment, happiness, joy, fulfillment, whatever it is that you needed. But the point is, it's only two weeks, and you need to go back. You need to go back to the world and the responsibilities that you have. If you like shopping like I like shopping, isn't this what shopping does? Right? I'm so bored with life. I need something new. I need something to get my attention, to give me a little bit of joy. And so what do I do? I want to buy something new. And guess what? It works. It works. You get something new, you got something to look forward to. It's shipping in the mail. You got something to look forward to. And then finally you get it, you open it up. Nice new shiny package, nice new shiny material, and it makes you happy. But what happens? Two things. Number one, it gets old. Number two, it's never enough. So what do I do? I go online to shop for the next thing. And I'm in this cycle the next thing, the next vacation, the next whatever it is that I think is going to make me happy, and I'm filling it up my life, I'm filling my life, and eventually what happens is I'm in this cycle that nothing really seems to last that long. If the Bible is true, if God is really there, and he said in the Bible, you are a people of destiny. Destiny means destination. You have a destination. Your life was meant for something more. And though this world, let's admit it, has a lot of good things, a lot of wonderful things, great things even, but the point is, if you understand the Bible story between the two trees, not everything is good. And everything that is good here is never good all the time. The thing is, sometimes, a lot of times, nothing good seems to stay good. A wonderful relationship falls apart. A friendship, a long-term, has conflict. A job that you loved, all of a sudden, bad coworkers, bad boss change. The economy, great, now it's not great. And what the Bible is trying to say, if you understand Revelation 22 and Genesis 2, in between the two trees, what we've got to understand is this. Though there is a contentment we can find in life, though there is a happiness we have in life, there is a discontentment that's built in to the system. It's just the way it is. The world, the way it is, after the first tree, after the fall, and before the completion, there's a discontentment that's built into the world. And so if you are looking for your ultimate happiness and contentment just here in this world now, guess what? You will immediately, if not eventually, be disappointed, frustrated, discontent, and it's never enough. This is why St. Augustine says in his book Confessions to the Lord, he says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. To put it another way, if you're trying to find your final resting place in something or someone here in this world, you will be restless. That's what he's saying. 
The secret of contentment and happiness is really no secret. Seeking real, lasting contentment in an ever-changing, discontented world requires something that is not of this world. Or as Jesus says in Matthew 6, your contentment needs to be found in a place where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves can't break in and steal. If we really understood this, if we really believe this, then this is what happens. How we experience life now, how we experience the good and the bad, it now changes. This is what I mean. Every good thing that I experience and have now, genuinely good, is only a token of what's better to come. But on the flip side, every bad, every horrible thing that I experience now, now becomes a reminder that better is yet to come. If you understand the gospel and God's big picture for you and where you're headed, that means this, that there is nothing that is so good in this world that you could get that will make you say, this is my life. Why? Because it will not be good enough. And on the flip side, there is nothing that is so hard and so bad in this world that makes us say, this is my life, and it's over. Why? Because it's not bad enough to change God's destiny for you. That's hope. And we have a problem with remembering this, I think. We have a difficulty really believing in this. And that's the reason why Sundays are important, to remind you where your contentment needs to be found, where your contentment ultimately really is. Every Sunday, as imperfect, less than ideal as it might be, is meant to be a taste of what you have by faith. Did you know that when you come into service every Sunday, you're not just coming into a room with a bunch of people to kind of sing songs and listen to a sermon. What the Bible says is this, you're coming into my presence. You're entering into my eternal rest, and you're worshiping me. It's not perfect, but it's a taste of perfection to come. This is why Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that where are above, where Christ is, Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is now hidden in Christ with God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Okay? I hope and I pray, especially as this year winds down, already, to, you know, 2023 is winding down. I, I hope... Through the midst of struggle and hardship, uh, through the midst of just getting old, you find contentment, moments of contentment, joy, happiness with loved ones, with, with vocation, with fulfillment in life, whatever that is. Happiness, yes, in this world, during your youth, when you're young, or, or even as you get older, as we age. But I also pray that even though your moments of contentment might be punctuated with moments of discontent, of pain and heartache and more disappointment and more frustration and sickness, I pray that especially in those times, 
that you will find an even deeper, more lasting contentment in Jesus Christ and what you have in him. Let that be your strength. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you so much for your patience and your goodness to us. Whether we acknowledge you or not, whether we always remember you or not throughout the week, throughout our days, throughout our work, our, our relationships, if we just think about things, ultimately, at the end of the day, even as we work and even as we strive, uh, we recognize you're the God who provides all things. You're the God who gives all good things. And you deserve, therefore, our gratitude, our thankfulness, and our worship. But we pray at the same time, as people who live oftentimes by sight, by what we just see in front of us, by what we need to deal with right in front of us, that those times we would not be led astray. That you'd help us not to look at what we see with our eyes, but to see what you see with faith. To look away and to look up, to be reminded again of your presence and your goodness, to be reminded of your plans, to find hope and strength when we feel like there's no one and nothing around us here in this world that could give it to us. We don't know, Lord, what may be in store for each and every person. There may be more blessings to come, more opportunities to come, and we trust that you provide those things. But we know for sure, whether next month, next year, next five, ten years, we know there will be hardship. Prepare our hearts and minds. Help us to endure Help us to take the most advantage of what you've given us now by putting it towards the future and knowing that the faith that you've given to us we would make use of the most right now and not later. Help us to grow. Trust in you for those things even more. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.